Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Zack Snyder shows off his Joker. We do WandaVision episode four talk, and John David Washington is our guest. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 152 of Real Blend, a podcast that believes Jared Leto when he said that the little things were the friends that we made along the way. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and this week, Zack Snyder shows off his Joker. We do WandaVision, episode four talk. WandaVision. And John David Washington joins us to talk his new film, Malcolm and Marie. And, of course... A little Christopher Nolan and Tenet talk that we had to get in there. And he joins the the (laughs) coveted, small, and elite group of two-timers on the show. Yes, he does. Yes. So that's a very small, elite group of folks. Friend of the show. I like to refer to them uh, as friend of the show in that point. And by friend of the show, we can, I can only honestly mean that the most important friend of the show is uh, Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, as well as... Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, boys. How are you? You need better friends. <laughs> That's not true. Not around here. <laughs> uh, and, of course, please, let's, let's all remember producer Gabe, who is uh, probably going to chime in with a few things now and again. Hi, Gabe. How are you? No, you're muted, Gabe. <laughs> As well, you should be. How's it going, guys? I'm good. <laughs> it's very I was hoping you just wouldn't Gabe. say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, returning to my silent roots. If you are uh, watching us on YouTube, first off, hello. How is everybody doing? You can check and see uh, what we're wearing. You can watch John David Washington because he's going to be a video interview later on this week. Um, if you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, please go to the description down below and find out how to go over to YouTube and follow us along there. Give us a like and a subscribe. Uh, Of course, if you are still hoping to join the premium, we have information about how to get premium episodes. And we also have a store filled with cool Real Blend goodies. Go to cinemablend.com backslash shop and stock up on some Real Real Blend merch, including t-shirts and mugs and some other fun stuff like that. Why Why are you laughing at me, Gabe? Because I do that all the time as well. What, trying to say? Trying to say the name of our own show. Yeah, I've watched that a lot of times. All right, let's get right to the weekly poll so we can get through the news and all the other fun stuff we have to get to. Uh, Weekly poll. What is your most anticipated February movie? Jake, I gave the people's three titles to choose from. Malcolm and Marie, in -hmm. honor of John David Washington joining us this week. Sure, sure. Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Mm -hmm. starring Daniel Kaluuya. And Cherry, starring Tom Holland, from our friends Joe and Anthony Russo. And then I also gave Something Else as an alternate. There were more February titles to pick from than I anticipated. When I looked at the stuff that's coming, I was like, oh, I could have put that. I could have put that. There's, there's some bigger things coming this month. But of March is going to be insane. If we do that poll for March, it's going to yeah, be nuts. Yeah, March, March is going to be nuts. But what do you think one of Malcolm, Judas, or Cherry? Based on the trailer, which I think is one of the best trailers in recent memory, I'm going to say Judas. Okay. Kev, what about you? Any thoughts? Uh, I'm going to say Malcolm and Marie. Judas and the Black Messiah is the winner. Judas got 37%. Cherry got 31 
Malcolm and Marie, 16.3. And then something else got 15.6. So the point being, even though, you know, we're in the front half of this year, this feels like one of those instances where the the studios or the streamers that wanted to put some stuff that's awards friendly is working in their favor. Like getting Malcolm and Marie to drop onto Netflix around this time, getting Judas and the Black Messiah to come to theaters, select theaters and HBO Max, and then also having Cherry go to Apple TV. Those are really strong films, you know, that are anchored primarily by really strong performances. And I think it's going to give film fans and people who listen to our show on the regular uh, something fun to listen to. Uh, Gabe, what did we, did we get any other choices for something else or did people, I don't really know what they put for their I saw a lot of people, a lot of people were being funny and said, what's a movie? Are there still movies? Do people still oh, release movies? And I on. said, well, that's sad. That's, that's just... sad. That is pretty, that is pretty sad. But honestly, we have but had a chance was, to check out uh, the majority of those. What? What? I was gonna say that. I mean, that's only sad if like we're not actually getting big movies, but we're getting massive movies right now with massive movies to come. So it's not like we're like, not getting. Like it I yet. said, they thought they were funny. They thought they were funny. I didn't say they were funny. To be fair, they probably think that's the same thing about us. It's true. Oh, they think they're funny. (laughs) All right. Well, then, without further ado, uh, the star of Malcolm and Marie joined our show. uh, John David Washington came back around, got into a really geeky conversation about preparation for Malcolm and Marie, uh, got to explain some of the fun stuff about Tenant. Kevin asked him a really great question about fighting himself uh, and how he learned how to do that. But why do you want to hear me talk about it? You want to hear him talk about it. So, without further ado... The second Real Blend interview uh, th- with John David Washington, this time without Christopher Nolan. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, there he is. is. Hey. I, I, it's me again, man. I, 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 I keep talking to you. <laughs> you, got, you got the pants on with it, too, or you got shorts on? Oh, I got uh, jogger pants on, but I actually wore this because this is that this is, looks like the suit a little bit you wore in the in the kitchen scene in Tenant. Well done. I was, well done. <laughs> Dude, I I always love when you walk down the steps and you like sit in. I think you butt, button your jacket yeah, yeah. and you're just standing there in the road when she drives away. It's so badass. So Thanks. good to see you, man. So I'm dressed as you before Michael Caine. I'm I'm all Brooks Brothers. <laughs> oh my god, John. We got to start before we even get into the interview. Okay. Of just I don't know if you remember this, but you did uh, this show with paired with Christopher Nolan, and and mm-hmm. we did the stupidest thing where we asked him to scream Dunkirk at the end of it because that's how we ended our sh- every episode of our show up until that point. Okay. And he was so uncomfortable doing it, and it was great because he did it, and and we were thrilled. And you called him out immediately after. You were like, "You didn't commit to that, Chris." <laughs> I said that. You yeah. said that to him. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a highlight for us. Because <laughs> he probably said it to me on set several times. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he says my name too, John David. Like he's, it's like, it's like, my, like sometimes I just straight up, like my mom calls me, and like you straight up, like you in trouble. I love that. <laughs> no one. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll kick us off. Um, congratulations on this uh, on this brilliant film. Thank you so much for joining our, our Real Blend podcast. Um, I kind of want to look at the domino effect of how directors affect you as you move through your career. So you obviously, I'm, I'm going to go to Spike Lee with Black Klansman because that performance is brilliant. And I wanted to know what Spike gave you that you you could use on something like Tenet 
And then what's something that Nolan gives you that you can then use on Malcolm and Marie? Just kind of like that domino effect downward. And as you're talking about Spike, um, can I geek out with you a, a minute about the floating dolly? Because uh, that's one of the oh, coolest yeah. shots ever. It's one of my favorite shots you've ever done. And I just wanted to know what that was like to shoot. So just kind of like that experience from Black Klansman to Nolan to now Levinson. Okay. Um, Spike Lee taught me once you land on set, everything's in play. Like, you know, like whether you think it's a, a, a rehearsal, if you just, they just want to look, just sit in there and look, he might be rolling. Like anything I do is usable. Like I was one time, I was just walking a certain way, walk, working on my 70s kind of bop. Uh, it was the scene where I, we finally got our man, uh, the crooked cop and cut to me holding a briefcase. And I was just doing that just to get warmed up. And he's like, no, 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 do, do, do that. Run it, run it, let's go, slate in, that's what he always does. So he taught me that everything's in play. Um, he taught me to trust my instincts because like, I don't want to think too much like, oh, that's not from the script, that's not how we do it. He wanted it to make it messy. Everything's alive. Everything you do can be seen, don't worry about it. And we can see when you're thinking, so don't think. And uh, that rolled into to, to Christopher Nolan because I, at first I didn't know if he was going to be like that. I thought maybe it'd just be actor for hire, hit the mark, be precise and all that. And he wanted it just as messy, even messier. He encouraged me. He He's not to do it the same every time. Mm. He said, dirty it up, do different takes, different ways to do it. And uh, I was like, oh, Spike kind of told me that too. That's interesting, you know? <laughs> so, all right, all right, I think I'm on to something. And then Sam just blows it out the water. He's like, I don't care. Like sometimes we did, I only did a couple takes and he's like, all right, I, did you want to move on? I, I, I'm like, well, do you want any feet? What, what do you need from me? I, I have no idea. I was great. So I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. okay. So, so all those things, I think ultimately the theme, I think from these three directors was for one, they all trusted me and what I bring. And they, um, and they encouraged me to, my, they encouraged my input. They made me feel like a collaborator and, uh, and with that responsibility, um, use it. So there's stuff I had and ideas that I thought about with what was written. So use it, incorporate it. Don't be afraid to. So that was, that was great to know from all of them. And the floating dolly, but because I know your your dad got oh. to do one in Inside Man. He did one in Malcolm X. Yeah, that must have been right, awesome. Let me, right, yo, so like that day, because I was asking for it the whole um, shoot. I'm like, are we gonna? <laughs> when am I gonna get my opportunity? Like, because I feel like this is where this connects me to all your films, all of the actors to put me on that dolly. You know, so uh, it was my last day. He surprised me. He said, "It's coming. It's here." I was oh. like, oh my God, I geeked out. And he was kind of frustrated, I could tell, for a little bit because I wasn't focused. I was so excited. I was like on a Disneyland ride or something or Six Flag Magic Mountain ride. I was like a little kid, you know, just going nuts. He's like, John David, look look at the ca- I need you to point the gun. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fake performance because I was like so excited about it, man. That's so amazing. that was like, so to me, that connected me to, to, you know, the all from Crooklyn to Malcolm X to, you know, to Delroy to Denzel to Wesley to, to him to everybody. I felt like I was totally, truly now part of the Spike family because he put me on the dive. That's amazing. That's amazing. I feel like you went from one director to the other who I would be terrified at the idea of being yelled at. Like the thought of Spike Lee or Chris Nolan yelling at me. Just it's a terrifying <laughs> thoughts. Uh, so the fact that you were playing around is, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. 
They, uh, I, I don't want to give any, they, they're very passionate about uh, what they do. I'll put it that way. <laughs> fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, you know, as uh, as I'm watching Malcolm and Marie, the whole time I'm thinking like, I, I would pay top dollar to see you guys perform this live in front of me on stage. Like it really felt like this very sort of intimate kind of, you know, obviously sort of, it's this sort of closed set. You're in a house and it's just two people performing the entire time. Well, I was curious, sort of a multi-level question. Did it ever kind of feel like a play at any point? Do you feel like you could perform this from start to finish live on stage? And is that something that if it was ever thrown at you for like a, a one night event in New York, you and Zendaya, that you would ever be interested in performing Malcolm and Marie live on stage? Well, it most certainly, I'll, I'll kind of jump out of order with the answers, but the, it's, it sort of felt like we did it from beginning to end. So I definitely could do this in one night on stage. I could. That's kind of how we shot it anyway. I mean, we got takes obviously, but it, it felt like one, one seamless thing. Uh, I would love to put it on stage. And when I read it, just I just I took the cinema out of it. I mean, I knew what I was getting because I love his stuff, Sam's stuff. But I just said, OK, I'm doing this selfishly. I just get to say these words. I get to really show a side of me. I have to find the side of me first and then be able to hopefully show. That's what the anxiety was. Can I do I have this in me to say this? Because I don't act like this at all. Uh, so it's an actor's dream to be able to do that, to reach outside yourself and, and bring it to yourself and then present it. Um, but like from an actor's perspective, like this is going to be a great performance piece. I don't even, that's the thing. I didn't even know if people were going to see it. I didn't know what the ultimate game plan was with selling it. I thought maybe this would just be for us. The fact that we just got to work because I didn't know if I'd ever get to act again is why I did it. I did it for the, the get to work with who I got to work with, the, the what was on the page, who saw it. I don't know. Maybe it was going to be this personal thing. I didn't know it was going to become something else. Um, so that being said, uh, when I got to see what Marcel and them were doing, getting to see, getting behind the curtain and behind, you know, Wizard of Oz, I'm like, oh, this is cinema. Like when they set up that shot outside after the third day and I saw oh. what they were doing and we did it, we did it all. That was like a play. All of that was one take. The review was one take, all one. Um, I'm like, and how they were capturing it. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is, this is cinema. This is going to be beautiful. And, uh, and, and thank God, because I thought the words were beautiful and, uh, and it, it was matched by what, uh, how they captured it. Oh, John David, I'm so glad that you brought up the words because that's exactly where I was going with it next. Um, yeah. The screenplay, I mean, it's, it cuts so deep so many times, right? Like, uh, and I'm curious if there, uh, is it the situation where there's lines of dialogue that you will have with you forever from this script? Like 30 years from now, you'll have lines of dialogue that you'll be able to remember. I'm always fascinated with actors, whether they just, they memorize it for when they need it and then it's mm -hmm. gone, they're on to the next thing. Or is this like a script that's going to live inside of you? This, I'll, I'll be honest. I, no, I'm not off book anymore. Only because I went to some places that really were healing for it helped to get that out. But like, I didn't, I was uncomfortable with because of, of me, right? That being said, I will read it. I think I'll read it every year. I think it's something that I would love to read just wow. every year because I mean, it's, it's some of the best writing, you know, I think. I think he's a tremendous writer. He's so brilliant. And uh, so that I'll, I'll revisit. But that also reminds me of where I was because when I hear it or read it, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's right. And then I, I thought, oh, <laughs> ah. So, so I've kind of chosen to forget some stuff I do remember, but um, but uh, like like the mac and cheese moments, like uh, you know, verbally abuse you, get the yeah. bad, like stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've, I've kind of yeah, I'm 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 not off book anymore. Gotcha. 
You know, John David, you uh, you're so lucky and fortunate that you've gotten to work on film for a lot of your big movies. Like you could shoot on actual film. I think Spike shot 16 and 35 for Black Klansman. Obviously, Nolan shoots 65 mil IMAX and 65 mil. And then here, uh, Levinson shooting 35 mil black and white. And I'm watching this on my screen at home and I'm just looking at the grain swimming in the screen. It's absolutely beautiful. And your character mentions at one point the digital versus film debate in yeah. the movie. I'm just curious where you fall on that. Like, what does it feel like to be captured on film? I mean, especially the 65 mil IMAX stuff you're doing in Tenet and then 35 black and white here. What does film mean to you? Do you, do you prefer it over digital? Um, uh, I, yeah, I don't want to get Yeah, I do honestly, but I, I, I love, I love it all. Um, unfortunately, with the times we're in, I, I want people. I was hoping people were going to be able to see Malcolm and Marie in the theaters as well, because it's a different experience with the sound quality of it too. To really um, hear what these two lovebirds uh, feel about <laughs> each other, um, but yeah, there, there's something to to it that makes it feel like we're we're sneaking in on them, that we're not watching yeah. a movie, but we're sort of peeping times. I mean, the way the the house was set up, the caterpillar home, we're like almost like what we're neighbors just watching oh they added it again and they go and uh <laughs> marcel and sam and the quality of of the filmmaking and and what they just how they decided to shoot it you know that's awesome that's awesome uh, obviously you and zendaya walked into this film having different working relationships with with sam obviously she's worked with him for a while because of euphoria and you're sort of coming in and kind of getting getting to know him personally in his style i'm sort of curious the um the upside and the downside to that for you like is there an upside to not having worked with this guy before. And, and I'm assuming the downside being that maybe that that instant sort of uh, working relationship wasn't as, you know, that you didn't have that that line of communication that, that he and Zendaya had already. Well, there definitely could be a downside to not working with him, like if, if he were a different kind of a person, but he's so welcoming, so warm. And when I met he and his wife uh, at Sundance 2018, they saw my film. I didn't get to see Assassination Nation there. I saw it later, but, um, you know, I, I, we were just fans of each other, you know, so I, I uh, so, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be a beautiful relationship going in. I didn't think I was going to get surprised by that. My sister had worked with him already, producer on some things. So um, I, I knew them. I was our agents. We know each other. So, like, I knew what I was getting into. That being said, it was extremely intimidating because, yeah, she, he and Zendaya are one. They have a language that uh, I'm like, oh, my God. OK, so I'm I'm screwed. So that that's what I felt like the first couple of days talking. Like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm going to fail them because they're like, they're finishing each other's sentences. They're laughing at jokes. I don't know. Now. I don't even know the reference. I'm like, well, what, wait, are we talking about America? Are y'all t- are, is this even English right now? What are y'all talking about? <laughs> so, um, uh, that, but that was a beautiful thing. And I caught up eventually, but I found myself always having to k- catch up because they're brilliant. They're a great team and they're going to continue to make great stuff. Um, in any kind of argument, uh, you know, the audience is going to take sides throughout it, like as it's playing out. Yeah. So I want to know what kind of conversations you guys had about whose side you thought you wanted the audience to be on at different points, or did you ever Great did you point. even think that far ahead? Great question. Hell yeah. So I, I would tell <laughs> I would tell someone like Sam, you know, the people are going to hate me. You, you are you familiar with the cancel culture? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, man, like what are you doing? Because <laughs> like, he was he wanted to add some more stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. We're not doing that. I'm not gonna. I'll do it. A, I'll say that, but I'll do it in a, in a different way. I'll subvert the thing because, like, that's crazy. So I, I thought I, we always talked about they'll be on my side. Maybe I thought they were gonna be on my side because of the you know 
cheating thing. But mm-hmm. uh, but then he just goes, you know, my, but that's the point. He goes too far. He always goes too far. But she pushes him. So we talked about that. Yeah, I, I think everybody's going to side with, uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm just saying, I think everybody's going to side with Marie. Because that's what it's been. Even my mom, I think, she might have even sided with Marie. <laughs> she, no, she's like, no, she didn't. She did. She said maybe, but she she goes back and forth. I think that's the point. Every, a lot of people go back and forth. But I've heard a lot of people siding with her. So, funny. Yeah. John David, I'm actually interested in dialogue delivery. I mean, like, there's a literally a moment in the film where you speak so much dialogue that your character falls onto the couch completely out of breath. And, okay. I, and I wanted to know, like, in a moment like that, is that an actual out of breath moment? Are you acting that you're out of breath? Like, did, did Sam just capture you falling over like that? I, I mean, I know it's blocked out, but those moments are very interesting. They feel like they're so immersive and real. I appreciate that question. That section outside was not blocked out. I, I think that's why he kept the camera where it was, because I was oh. just going. We, we knew that was the set that we're going to be in this area, but it wasn't come here for this, come here for that. It was whatever you do. That's why we actually we came back and did it again three times, because he, he, when I started yelling at the tree, he said, like, oh, we got we to gotta do that, because I guess they, they wanted to capture it differently. So they set it up, oh. and they said, go. They unleashed unleash me to the wild and uh so there's a section like like when he says right this that's why spike lee made things like this and i hope that uh i forget the words now but i if you notice i'm starting to actually lose breath i started to hyperventilate a little bit and like you can hear it in my in my in my voice if you really know my voice and so that was i was wiped out that was really because it was a lot of words and we didn't stop we just kept going so uh yeah that was i wasn't acting that uh, so the fall over was improv the, the, no, the fallover was blocked, but right before was not. Okay. Right before was not, but the fallover was. But I, I, I felt like I needed to stop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, like, I actually felt like I needed to stop. I was getting dizzy. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That, that is amazing. Uh, John David, Kevin and I were, were sort of chatting a little bit before uh, you popped on earlier, and we were both saying how great it's been to be able to chat with you as often as we have this early in your career. Like, you came into my studio here in Chicago for Black Klansman. Obviously, mm. we all got you for Tenet. Now we're getting you for Malcolm and Marie. And we were saying, like, oh, it's so great because we all kind of feel like we're building this relationship with you and that you're just probably, you know, minutes away from becoming, like, one of the biggest stars on the planet. And we're like, oh, that'd be really great if he liked us whenever that <laughs> happened. And we're just sort of curious, like, as you're kind of going <laughs> through press and you're kind of sort of like are you starting to kind of develop like relationships with reporters are you sort of seeing like different reporters that you're like or different styles of interviewing that you like um I, yeah I, I love movie enthusiasts so you know i can i can somewhat tell when it's a job which is fine or when people really you know love what they do you know i i obviously you know you being in the suit that the tenant kitchen suit, it's just i mean you guys geek out about this stuff and so do i so like and, you know, this whole the whole rant about reviews and, and journalists, I, I like we need all of that. We need people with nine to fives who don't really know or care too much about what happens, how they do it. We just need to know if it's good enough. We need people like that to tell you why it's good to help. Like they talk about authenticity. Why? Because uh, you don't know when something is good. Well, that's the job. And film enthusiasts, people that love acting and performances can tell you why can help these people like say why, what to look for. And so I love that interaction with people that are just as enthusiastic as I am about the, about film, about performance. And that's who I like to work with director wise. That's who I, you know, actor wise is in, that's who I like to talk to when it's time to roll it out. You know, mm-hmm. again, now if you know, some people it's just the hustle or grind, another way to get somewhere and that's fine. That's okay too, both on our side as well. But when, you know, when you genuinely, genuinely like film, when you genuinely love to do this and, and, and enjoy watching it and discussing it, I live for that. That's great. I can do that all day. 
You've come to the right podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to transition then uh, kind of to how much of Malcolm was in you when you were reading tenant reviews. Were you kind of like, (laughs) were you a little bit like, no, no, man, you have to go back and rewatch it. Or how come you put, don't put that, those words into our mouth. We're not trying to do that. Sometimes we're just trying to do this. (laughs) Um, I I tend not to, I definitely, I I tend not to look at reviews to not have a Malcolm Knight. So uh, (laughs) so I really, a couple here and there, I feel like every time I sneak peek, I'll find something that's not, that's not good for my, uh, for my happiness and on my seat. This is why I don't do it. This is exactly, I always click on the wrong one. My, and I'll tell my agent or somebody like, yeah, but they said this, like, are you kidding me? But what about the like a hundred other says this thing? Like, I don't want to hear it, doesn't matter. This person that didn't even see the film said this. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I try, I try, I, I tend to stay away from it. And uh, actually it's funny. I talked to Christopher Nolan about that briefly too. And he said, yeah, stay away from it. You know, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you do. That's too well, funny. Well, John, David, I wasn't able to talk to you about this when when Tenet first came out. You know, I've seen the movie nine times now. I mean, yeah. like, I, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten the steel book for this thing, but like, it, it's really cool. And the, the cool <laughs> thing about the physical media is you still get to have the IMAX shots. You get the the shifts uh-huh. and ratio, which is really cool. Uh-huh. Um, but I wasn't able to ask you this when I first talked to you, so I want to ask now about fighting yourself that 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 particular sequence uh-huh. because that was a spoiler, obviously. Now, yeah. if, if I understand it correctly, did did you have to learn that fight four ways forward and backwards as both versions? Like, could you, could you elaborate on kind of the process of shooting that? Was it shot backwards first or forwards first? Like what was that fight sequence like to shoot from the, all the different perspectives? Yeah, you, you got it. Two characters um, uh, and two versions of the fight for both characters. So um, we, that was what we started with the first week and a half or the first maybe 10, 11 days of filming. Uh, was that sequence in the uh, the, the, the Rotas Volt. So, um, yeah, having to learn the suit guy stuff forward and backwards and then the uh, in the in the gear, uh, the inverted person front and back. So it was it was very confusing, but it also like the, the repetitions really helped me. And honestly, getting into it physically helped me understand more of the concept for the overall. Like when I got into step into the physical movements of how, you know, uh, temporal movement, pincer movements work and, and reverse entropy and all those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, there would be a, he'd say, load up the reverse mag. So we do it forwards. And then sometimes I would do it forwards and, you know, the, the, the stunt, stunt man was fighting, um, was fighting me backwards and then vice versa. Then we first, then we both go backwards and we both go forwards. We started this, it's really got tricky. And we had to start in a certain section, like mid fight backwards and then forwards, you know? So sometimes we did it the full way. And then sometimes we broke it up in pieces. All right, this is the part where we you threw a couple punches here, but now we got to do that backwards. So it was just, oh, Steve Gerke, our, uh, our script supervisor, we'd look at each other like, today's the day, huh? Today's the day. <laughs> the, the fo- I understand. Yeah. If I don't see you, you don't see me. It was a good one. We did good. We did all right. <laughs> <laughs> sick, you know? <laughs> Some of the best photos I've seen behind the scenes are Hoytema holding that freaking massive camera and just oh, right man. there with you. I didn't Yo. know they were reversing the film, man. That's yes. awesome. Yo, and also too, so this was so crazy. This is why I mean this is what I love what I do. So we were they were like there was a section where we were really he, we were hand-to-hand stuff, frontwards and backwards, and I ended up kicking Hoyta. <laughs> right while we were fighting. And I'm like, I, I kept going, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, keep going. 
No, it's okay. Go <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> this is crazy. And like, and I'm saying like Chris with a monitor, like, yeah, it's it's happening. <laughs> um, it was great. It was great. Now, yeah. if you ever work with him again, you're gonna be out of focus for all of your shots. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you back for that kick. Um, we're gonna, I'm gonna wrap you on uh, uh, one last Tenet question. And, and I did wanna say collectively that Tenet was uh, our podcast number one film of uh, 2020. So so we were very obviously massive fans. And uh, so I just wanna talk, no pun intended, about how you feel like time is going to, to affect that movie in the long run. Kevin said, I think Kevin's seen it nine or 10 times. I've watched it five, <laughs> six times. And every time I watch it, I, I said last year, it was my favorite sort of movie experience of the year because every time I watch it, I get a, I, there's a little bit more of an understanding I have to, and I get something else. And I, and I realized that there were things that you guys were telling me all along that I didn't even catch times mm-hmm. one through five. And I really feel like it's going to be one of those movies in 10, 15 years that we're all going to look back on and go like, this is a movie that's only getting better as yeah. we kind of catch up with what Nolan was trying to do. Kevin has a famous line where he always says like, oh, like we weren't ready for Tenet, um, which we I were. think to a certain degree is true. And I'm sort of yeah. curious as to how you feel like the the reaction to that film, how it came out last year versus what it potentially could be in 10, 15, 20 years. I, I got to be honest. I, I don't like watching movies I'm in. Um, I'm hypocritical, but I've I've seen it about eight times myself. Yes. I, I really have. I'm like, dude, like I have. And you're right. I felt the same thing happening every time I watch it. Not only do I find something different, you know, um, like I do with Coming to America. I've seen that like a thousand times. I always find something <laughs> different. But like what, what, I, what I'm seeing is more of the, the connectivity than I ever thought of, of, of the characters, too. Like they're, they're, he really lacked a, uh, laid a great story with, with this concept to me. And the performances, especially with Rob and Elizabeth, everybody gets stronger every time. I see it and it, it makes more sense. I, or I guess I can, I can see how it's blended together more. I don't know if that's making any sense, but I just yeah. I do catch something different every time. I think I spill, I feel the spirit of the film every, the more and more, it was stronger and stronger every time I see it. At first, I, cause it's so overwhelming with the, with what's happening and the car flipping all this concept and then some of the dialogue is like trying to explain it. But like every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, it's, it's blending together as one now for me more than ever. And then honestly, too, the the what what uh, Ludwig did, too, was oh. like I'm I'm really catching up. To, I listen to that soundtrack all the time. I'm seeing how crazy and innovative innovative that soundtrack is as well. I mean, it matches the concept of what's what's happened. I think people will also catch up to what he did uh, with this score. Yeah, and the cool thing is the physical copy gives you the IMAX shots. The the iTunes versions and the streaming versions, you can't get those shots. So that, that's yeah. the coolest way to watch it. Uh, so John David, Kevin we... will send you a physical copy if you don't have one because he sends you every Every time he knows someone doesn't have a physical copy, he buys it and sends <laughs> it to him. Literally, Dude, I was going to start a streaming link version of it, and he went on Amazon and overnighted me one. Like, wow. I need a physical copy. So if you so, need one, Kevin's your guy. Kevin will yeah, send you one. I think he's got, I'm pretty sure John David has, has a copy somewhere. I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. The best line of 2020. <laughs> we, are, we are completely out of time. We went over. Yeah. I'm so sorry. We love having you on the show. Um, we just love being able to geek out about movies with you guys. Malcolm Marie is one of those films that's it's going to, you know, we will change uh, and and appreciate that film uh, more and more from year after year. Amazing. It's just a truly beautiful piece of work. Thank you for your time, John David. We really, really appreciate it. A lot of fun, guys. Thank you. We have to thank Netflix for giving us extra time with John David Washington. Please make sure you check out Malcolm and Marie uh, when it hits Netflix. We're going to get into our full review for that movie coming up uh, later on in the show. So let's get to talking points. 
by the time you guys listen to this one, uh, and this is just through planning and timing, it's not like this is breaking on us or anything, uh, but you will have uh, heard the Golden Globe nominations. So make sure you tune into next week's episode for us to give a full breakdown analysis. Uh, this is pretty much the only day this week that we were able to record. I'm curious to see what does well. I'm curious to see if there's any real surprises. I'm curious if any of these sort of last minute additions end up becoming movies that, you know, didn't come out technically in 2020, but still get to compete for uh, for the award season this year. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, looking ahead to some news that's coming out, we got into a conversation uh, before the show even started because John M. Chu, uh, the director, has been tapped to uh, direct an adaptation of Wicked, the musical. And this is a project that's been bouncing around for a long time. Um, I think at one point they wanted to do a film adaptation with the two original stars of the show, which, would, if I'm right, it's Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel. Is that right? Um, Adela Dazeem. Adele, yes, right. But they're not the ones who are still going to be doing it, are they? Is that is that the by case? The, by the time it, because well, then for a while, people thought Leah Michelle might be. Oh, involved. interesting. Okay, okay. Um, but I, I think at this point, I mean, enough time has passed. Yeah, because because they're kind of supposed to be in grade school. Oh, right? are they? See, I don't even really remember that. That's the that's the whole point. That they go off to this school together, right? Okay. Are we talking about the same movie? I mean, the same musical. Because Jake said before the show that he doesn't like Wicked. I, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. <laughs> it's kind of what, what you said. I said the first <laughs> half of Wicked is really right. good. The second I, half, and I said all the songs that people know, like all the good songs, yes, are in the first half. Let and it then go. it goes. Do you want to build a snowman? Like that's that's Wicked, isn't it? Wicked is the one that's interspersed throughout the Wizard of Oz, is it not? It's like a Wizard of Oz prequel, and then the last, like, 30 minutes is while Wizard of Oz is going that's on. That's the best part. That's what, that's what I loved. Gabe, back me up. That's what I loved about Wicked is that it let you see the events of the Wizard of Oz through somebody else's perspective. Yeah, it completely changes the way you see the Wizard of Oz. Yes. Which is fun. 
because like when's the last time the wizard of oz was fresh so so did judy doesn't make it any good (laughs) judy was good she got nominated for (laughs) stop you can't just do that that's not criticism you can't just turn and say (laughs) was it and think that that's your criticism you have to give some context some structure to that. Look, okay, so for Wicked, I, I just think all the songs that are good are in the first half. Um, I okay. don't think it's nearly as good of a show as everyone else thinks it does. I think it just kind of got synonymous with that thing you do when you go to New York. Um, I think if, if if I were going to go like do the cliche New York Broadway thing, I would go see a much better show and go see Lion King, which is a great show. Well, I was going to say, now that thing is Hamilton, right, essentially? Yeah, I guess I guess Hamilton has has crossed the threshold of I mean, well, especially I, I think a big part of it is when these when these things go on tour, right? It's it, they start as this elite members only exclusive club that like you brag about having gone to because the only way you could see it is if you go see it in New York and you're able sure. to somehow get tickets. Yeah, and then once it goes on tour, that exclusivity, that coolness club is gone a little bit because then it opens up to everybody. Um, it's like how, you know, we treat movies when we see them at junkets and when they actually come out, we're like, you guys are still talking about that. Jeez. We've moved on. It's quiet place too. <laughs> Tell everybody. I'm, I'm done talking about that movie. <laughs> it's a year away from coming out. I know. I tell everybody I know that I've seen it. Michelle, cause he, cause John Krasinski just hosted Saturday Night Live. And I said, I can't believe that his movie hasn't come out yet. Michelle's like, which movie? I was like, Quiet Place 2. She's like, they made a two? (laughs) Yes, they did. And it was right supposed to come out. So did they book this hosting of SNL to coincide with what they thought was going to be the release date for Quiet Place 2? I'm not sure. Like like Daniel, you know, like, like Daniel Craig hosted SNL? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like back when Bond was supposed to come out? Oh, and then Chalamet did it when Doom yeah. was supposed to come out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> SNL doesn't change. They just yeah. keep going full steam ahead. I can't wait till uh, Scarlett Johansson hosts. Right <laughs> That's before, no joke. She actually really might. Right before Black Widow or Vin Diesel. Right before. I want to see Vin Diesel host Saturday Night Live. Right before, I actually kind of really do too. Right <laughs> just to see the train F9. wreck that would be. All right. Um, I, I don't have no. I, listen, you can tell me that Wicked's coming and I'll believe it when I see it because it feels like that's one of those musical adaptations. That have been kicking around for a really, really long time. Yeah, they've been talking about it for a long time. I'm I'm excited for it because one, I think he's a really good director, really creative director. He is. But I think mm-hmm. the fact that He's doing in the Heights too, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. In yeah. the okay. Heights. I'm I'm kind of excited. Who knows if he will, but I'm kind of excited to see how he might interact with the original with the visuals of the of of this story. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Because that's something that you can't quite do on stage. It's a whole different sort of medium. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested to see how he takes that musical off the stage and then plays with sort of the uh, the original. I think okay. that could be fun. I think he could do some fun, creative stuff. Our text thread lit up earlier today uh, when Kevin shared with us the first shot of the Joker uh, from Zack Snyder's Snyder Cut. Again, in black and white. A little bit out of focus. Kev, what were your thoughts when you first saw Snyder dropping a tease of Leto uh, in the Snyder Cut? I was just happy to see him post about it, you know? Um, I don't know. The image is interesting, right? I'm not really entirely sure what I'm looking at. Um, it kind of reminded me of Ledger's Joker a little bit in the in the background, but I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I'm not really sure. Some people were saying it reminded him a little bit of Joaquin's also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it's just a haunting image. Yeah. I, it looked... Well, it's disturbing. I, I didn't even think about it. Like we all just interviewed him 
and he had like the Jesus look, like he had like long hair and the beard. And he has talked about he just filmed stuff with Snyder not too long ago, which means he we're getting a long haired bearded Joker. You know, maybe, maybe not. And I'll bring up something I also just watched a couple days ago, which is um, Rosario Dawson's transformation into Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. Like, did you watch that time lapse video? That was really cool. It's very cool, and it reminds you just how much work they put into somebody when they take on a role to be on screen, right? So Leto could have that long hair, and it could just get you know bundled <laughs> up and then put a cap on it, sort of thing. Um, it, it's it's stunning when you think about the amount of work that goes into physically transforming somebody to take on That's that fair. part. Yeah. Um, but it does look he, look like he has longer hair. That's, well, in the picture, it looks like someone out of focus because it looks like someone else is holding the Joker card. Right. And then my impression was that it was the Joker in the distance who was out of focus. With, like, those rubber gloves. They have, like, rubber gloves on. Yeah. Which is never... Uh, you don't use them for, for any sort of good. You're either scrubbing a toilet or you're cleaning up a murder, essentially, yeah. at that point. That's the only thing that those gloves are good for. I think it says that on the packaging. Uh, please use when scrubbing toilets or cleaning up after murder, which theoretically Jared Leto uh, could be doing in any film of his. So uh, I'm intrigued to see how it works out. People are asking, like, where does the Joker fit in to the Snyder Cut? And, you know, I don't know. It's a four-hour movie. You have, four hour I feel like we're going to be amazed at all the people that are able to fit into a four-hour movie. Yes, and I do believe that there is going to be use of Joker in the nightmare sequence, um, similar to what you got in BVS, but they're going to do a longer one in Justice League where um, Batman is going to have to team up with any of the people who are left uh, to rise up against Darkseid and his minions, and one of the people who is going to have to be his ally uh, is Jared Leto's Joker. And there's going to be a lot of tension between the two because Leto's Joker killed Batman's Robin. That's super. Are we going to get more on Batcave. that? Um, I'm not sure if you're going to get much about it in Justice League, but Zach has talked about wanting to do maybe a spinoff episode or something that would explore Joker doing that kind of thing. Mm. So I think he knows kind of the story uh, and knows where he wants to go with it, but it depends on how much he's able to continue to do. So... The fact that he's teasing out an image of his Joker, you know, and and sort of pulling in David Ayer at the same time and saying, hey, thanks for creating this version of the character. I'm glad that our worlds got to sort of smash together. Um, Let me ask you guys this, too. What do you think is the reality? I know that I'm pretty I'm immersed in this side of the story, but this air cut, the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad as being something that could land on HBO Max um, what's the feasibility of it if the Snyder Cut does pretty well? Kev, do you think that that's a possibility? 100%, and Snyder's going to produce yeah. it. Oh, you think so? Yep. Nice. Jakey, is that something you want to see? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I, you know, flashback a year and a half, and I wouldn't have thought the Snyder Cut was actually going to happen. Right. So now I would say anything's possible. I, I do think that all eyes not just at Warner Brothers, but on a, at a lot of different studios are watching to see how this unfolds, um, to see how big of a success, how big of a measurable success that this thing is. Um, because I think if it ends up being huge for Warner Brothers and for HBO Max, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, think the, I don't think the buck stops at the air cut. I, I think we start looking at a lot of directors stepping up and going, hey, you know, which I'm of two minds about, but... You, you tweeted out something, Sean, 
I think I was complaining about something about 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 that very idea, right? Okay. Of of multiple directors stepping up and going, or fans saying, "Oh, I want this director's different version." And I was sort of complaining about that. And you brought up an interesting point on Twitter, which was like, well, "You don't have to watch it. It you know just because it exists, you don't <laughs> yeah, have to." Right, you know. right, right, and right. you know, and I really started thinking <laughs> about that. And then I just thought, like, you know, like you're absolutely right. Like, what what is the absolute worst case scenario that? Like multiple versions of a, of a, especially if it's a, a notably bad movie. Now, granted, when it, sometimes when it comes to something like Blade Runner, you get a little like, wait, which version is it, and which one do I watch? And it gets a right. little, you know. Um, and then with Alien on HBO Max, there's a director's cut, and I didn't know what's what's in the director's cut, but apparently, in the director's cut, they they find the captain later on in the movie, which I did not know was a thing. Oh, no, I didn't know that either. He's like cocooned or something. Okay. Um, uh, so anyway, it, it just, it, it muddies it a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'll do my homework and figure out which one I want to watch, but you know what, if there are a bunch of options out there, what the hell, why not? If it makes people happy, go for it. You want to know you what it you. is partially as well too, is that I think all of us have been conditioned through the course of our job that when something comes out, we feel obligated to watch it. You know, like if you tell me that a cut of something is coming, I think like, well, all right, I'm going to have to make time to watch that. Mm-hmm. When you just said something out loud that like, I rarely often think, but it's like, I don't have to watch that. I, <laughs> I can always just turn around and say like, no, nah, I don't have to. And that's becoming much easier nowadays with streaming. Like mm. there's a flood of things that hit streaming. Yeah. Especially Netflix that I'm just like, eh, I don't have to watch that. That's okay. No, <laughs> and, and within a week or two, it's moved on. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's sort of gone. So, um, in fact, yeah. isn't there a part of you that like, whenever you decide to not watch something and then it turns out to be a hit that you're sort of like, shit. I gotta go back and watch that. Yeah, I still, I still, and I, I'm not going to because I know I'm not the audience for it. I, I haven't seen Bridgerton. I don't think I'm going to watch Bridgerton. I have little to no interest in Bridgerton. Right. If Bridgerton makes you happy, wonderful. Right. Amazing. Kevin, I know you watch it with Lauren. I ain't married. I'm single. I don't have to watch Bridgerton. Therefore, I ain't gonna watch it. Kev, did you watch the whole thing with Lauren? Just the last four episodes. Okay. Yeah. Because I tried to watch the beginning of it with Michelle, and I punched out after the third episode. I was just yeah, like, I mean, like all, all, all me. the all the crazy stuff happens uh, episode five, six, seven, and eight. Okay. So, and by crazy stuff, you mean the sex stuff? Hey. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's like porn, basically. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. That's what it is. Yeah, I know that Seems there's like, like a whole. Um, like a, a world of films that's like to all the boys I've loved before and, and movies like that, that I know are really popular, mm-hmm. but I'm just never going to catch up with them. You know, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to see and them. And they all, they all have that dude. Who's the, the dude who's going to be in the new game, net Netflix, GameStop, Wall Street movie, Noah Centineo, Noah. Oh, like they yeah. all have that guy. It's like he is, he is like the Netflix. I saw someone tweet that was like, like what Netflix executive did Noah see hit a kid with their car? <laughs> because he is in like every netflix movie <laughs> that's every pitch at netflix is all right so we start with noah centineo they're like they're in 200 million dollars what is he going to be doing in this one <laughs> he's sitting off in the side holding yeah. pictures of the car accident <laughs> that's horrible all right let's get to uh when all of this stuff is hitting streaming and the things that really stick in my opinion and part of this is why i was arguing that i thought the snyder cut should have gone episodic uh, and there's a lot of conversation about why that's um, not happening and why it's going as a feature film. Um, 
is because of the way that it generates conversation. The way that WandaVision has been generating conversation as people uh, stick with it and get deeper and deeper into the mystery and figure out what's going on. And so we're going to talk about episode four of WandaVision right now. Everyone's seen it, right? Everyone in, mm-hmm. in this show has mm-hmm. seen it. Um, if you would like to skip ahead because you're not caught up yet, uh, go to the show notes down below. It will tell you where to skip to this week in movies because um, or it's, we're gonna... it's like 28 minutes. Just pause this and go watch it or do that. Well, but they might have to watch like all four episodes. Maybe they haven't started the show. Then why are you listening to this show? That's <laughs> true. If you've got, if you've made it this far with us, you probably want to watch it. Um, Jakey, what did you think of episode four? Was it? I loved it. I, I loved the context. Um, I liked sort of, you know, I, I'm a big fan of things that make you retroactively like things in the past better. Like and Age of Ultron. Episode four, and I. Nothing makes me like Age of Ultron but more. Um, I, but you know, I, and here's the deal. I liked the first three episodes of WandaVision. I, I liked them with the sort of the guise of, well, it depends on how, whether or not it sticks to the landing, right? Like, let's, let's see where it's going. And then a future episode will kind of determine how I ultimately end up feeling about one, two, and three. And four kind of confirmed a lot of suspicions I had, which is that obviously it's Wanda and, She's kind of created this world probably to deal with the grief of, of losing vision. And I really think if WandaVision ends up being a 10 episode miniseries about mm. how someone deals with loss and grief within the Marvel universe using yeah. Avengers, that's awesome. Mm. That is awesome. And I am in. I agree with you in the fact that I'm glad we didn't. This feels like an episode in a normal show you would have gotten toward the end. Yeah. They tied the threads together, and I think it was a really smart time right now to sort of pause and bring everybody up to speed because it's fun for all of us, like week to week, to speculate and put pieces together. But I think casual fan doesn't always do that. They might just sort of, you know, be passively watching it and, and waiting for the marvel of it all to kick in. And I thought this was the episode where the marvel of it all mm-hmm. sort of kicked in, where yeah. at least side characters who you recognize, whether it be Darcy or Jimmy Woo, were able to sort of come up and say, like, Oh, like I'll use PJ as a perfect example. And I know I've done this a couple times on the show. Like he wasn't fired up about WandaVision. He kind of even said like, I don't love those characters. Like, why do I want to watch this? But he came down one Sunday night and I guess enough of his friends had been talking about it. And he said, come on, let's watch WandaVision now. <clears throat> and we binged the and first single three tear rolled down Sean's cheek. <laughs> I finally said, son. <laughs> and for the first time, I told him I loved him. in 17 years. Sean was actually hanging another Avengers poster <laughs> as he said it. He was like, <laughs> at first, he was taking a photo of his family down and then hanging. <laughs> He's like, this is my family now. Um, so we watched the three and he was saying um, along the lines of like, is it just going to be this? First, he was saying like, is it just going to be this sitcom gag like week after week kind of thing? I was like, no, this is a bigger mystery. Don't worry about it. And then it would tease out the bigger mystery. And he was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. I get it. But then on episode four, that's the one where he sat down immediately as soon as he got home from school. He's like, come on, one eventually, let's go. Uh, he fired it up and he was like, oh, this is awesome. Like that's, it tied the casual Marvel fan, you know, into this is what we're trying to do. And that was a really great way for it to go forward. And of course, I'm more uh, fascinated now about what direction they're going to go into. Kev, where are you at in terms of the show? You all in? You think Marvel TV is working? I had the opposite effect. I actually think that four was my least favorite episode. Oh, um, really? That's yeah. interesting. Primarily because I just missed being with Wanda and Vision personally. Um, I also felt like the script in episode four wasn't strong enough. It just was very... 
um, I don't know what the term would be. It was very matter of fact. It was like, let's connect this to this. It never felt natural. It was always, it always just felt like a building block. Um, I think the heart of the series is in those first three episodes. And I, I, I have no problem with it opening up and expanding into the MCU. I would rather have it been more subtle versus extreme switch back. I mean, like we basically turned into a completely different show right, um, right. in episode four. <clears throat> so I think episode four was fine. I, I, I'm in the minority on that episode. I did not think it was all that jazz. I'm with, yeah. I'm with Kevin on <clears throat> episode four. I, I like it because I, I like it in the sense of, I like that this is where the show is going, that it's connecting to the bigger world, that these are the characters. I even like that those are the characters that they're bringing into it. Mm. Um, and I like kind of the way it's opening up. But that episode ended and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I was like, well, I didn't really. I feel like these are all things that I had kind of guessed. Oh, interesting. And each scene was just a confirmation of a guess. And then I didn't really learn or anything. Nothing new. I was like, OK, we're back at, at the end of episode right. three. And we just caught up with this other side of the story. And I typically feel that way with TV shows when they do that sort of like, let's show you what happened over here. I didn't, I, I felt like I didn't really get anywhere with it. I was, yeah. I was ready to watch episode five, but it wasn't there. So right. I was kind of bummed. I just missed do you, them. Do you yeah. feel like, you know, we, well, we as press got the first three, the first right. week they put out the first two. Do you feel like that's an episode that they should have dropped somewhere like in that first week? So that like it wasn't, I don't like a, a a week's episode. Like it was just sort of like because I know uh, I had some friends and family basically bow out of the show because oh, they're like okay. I just like the sitcom bit is like my dad a couple of people at work were both like I just the sitcom bit isn't doing it for me and how much longer and I had to be like hey you know I I I think here's the deal all four of us we're always going to watch all 10 episodes of that show, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, like, even if we weren't into it at this point, it's a Marvel show. It's the first Disney plus Marvel show. We have to watch it. We got to do it. But I think you have to have an episode like episode four for the casual viewer, the people that we forget, like See, don't that, exist within our problem bubble of obsession. Is that they're doing it for you that feel reason. you, did you yeah. watching it? Did you feel like this yes. episode is for those people? That's interesting. It, That's interesting. it felt like a gigantic explainer. Yeah, I will say, though, the opening, I think one brilliant thing that Marvel has done in the last 10 years, they've created their own kind of sensation within sort of watching a film of those references of like seeing a character that was three movies ago. And all that's like its own Marvel kind of sensation that, sure. you know, a typical movie universe can't do. But the opening of episode four was awesome. Snap. Seeing the snap. That was Yo, cool. That my was God, like, that was it put us. Oh, we knew so exactly where we were. It looked great. It was it was in the middle of a hospital, which is incredibly dramatic. And like it, it was so cool to see a regular part of the world dealing with it versus just being caught up in the Avengers of it all. I love the opening. OK, I have a question. I have multiple questions. <laughs> so when you were sn like snapped back into place, okay. you went back exactly where you were when you were snapped away. But Correct. like what if you were on a plane? Yeah. Yeah. Or what if where you were standing, they made a building? And there's a wall there. Kevin or what Feige, if you Kevin were gave an answer to that? Ooh, what did he say? He said, because the snap that brings everybody back was conducted by Smart Hulk, um, that Smart Hulk knew enough that when he made the wish to bring everybody back, that he put in the caveat, like, make sure everybody returns safely. 
so that if you were on a plane, you will snap back, but you will right. not be in the air where you were. But, but no one wants to see that shit. That's no one wants to see that played out on screen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish me, everyone was back. Give me the However. R-rated snapback. Yeah, <laughs> like no, there's, no, there's no asterisk. Like there's no like 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 subsection. You want to know why there is an asterisk, Jake? Because Kevin Feige said so, and. <laughs> Truly, that man. Look, is just God. because you and Kevin Feige are best friends doesn't mean I gotta believe every word the man says. But he did give that answer. Like I honestly, because someone of did ask he gave him. That answer. What else is he gonna say? Yeah. Like no. Like if if, like, if if you snap back and a person is standing in your place, then you're two combined people. Would be great if like someone asked Kevin Feige that and he like looked at him for a full minute and then he was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> You have to admit, Jake, though, the sort of uh, <laughs> sort of ridiculousness of your question in the sense that you're like, okay, so you snap your fingers and everyone disappears. And you're like, like let's just, that's logical. Yeah. That's logical. So far, <laughs> now, I'm with about, you. Yeah. Now, logic me into this situation. Other people say, like, when you snap back, like, if your loved one has moved on to be in another relationship, like, do you oh, snap God. back and think, like... They're cheating on you kind of thing. Like, why, why are you with this guy now? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that that makes sense because she didn't know that her mom was dead. Correct. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And it's just different because, like, Far From Home treated it for laughs, right? Like, it was the, the yeah. high school kids. I think one of them snapped back, like, and they were doing the news telecast. Yeah. And they were like, why are you in my chair? And then, you know, the one kid who was hotter now because he's five years older sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that they took this from a tragedy. You know, yeah. some, you're at uh, the hospital it, it felt like the leftovers the loved one it felt like the mcu's leftovers yes just not nearly as <laughs> bizarre as leftovers it's, didn't have uh justin throw getting his ass handed to him episode after episode or justin throws ass which is in that show which a lot. is also in that show an awful lot all right let's get to uh this week in movies there's a uh what do you even call it it's not a documentary this is kind of like the hamilton conversation again something on hulu uh called in and of itself which is a taped version of a stage show. Was this? Uh, it was taking place in New York City, right? It was. New yeah, York I think City. I think it was. I think it was off Broadway. And um, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this show. Um, I didn't know that it existed. I didn't know. I don't know who this guy is. Derek. What's his last name? Delgadio. Delgadio. All of a sudden, you just started hearing everybody talking about. You got to watch this show in and of itself. It's on Netflix. Check it out. And Jake, you were the first person who who mentioned it to me, but it was like right after you texted all of us of, and I feel like Chase gives you a lot of recommendations. Chase, yeah, Chase, <laughs> Chase, a friend of the show, the avid loyal listener to the show is listening to this episode right now, uh, is the one that recommended it to me. Um, So I told Michelle, like, we're going to watch something tonight. And we both went into it totally blind. And it was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a tremendous, tremendous stage show. Um, and the guy, so Jake, I want you to talk about a little bit because you got a chance to interview him today. Mm-hmm. And I guess in preparation for this, probably did a lot more research than even I have done. It's, it's a, it's a magic show kind of, um, but it's also, I think very, um, autobiographical and that he's telling mm-hmm. a lot of personal, very personal stories that are incorporated into all of his tricks. Yeah. Um, and because of the intimacy of the space where the show is set. There's a lot of audience interaction. Yes. Um, and it has to do a lot with like your own identity and how you view yourself. It has a lot to do with identity and how he views himself as well, too. Um, and he opens up his heart and sort of bears his soul over the yeah. course of this show. 
Um, but it's deeply, deeply moving. So what did you learn about him? What, did, what, do, we, what do you know about him having spoken to him? Uh, what's interesting is I actually asked him if all of the stories that he tells, because you're right, he does tell these very deep stories that are very uh, also metaphorical and, 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 and bigger in terms of the bigger scope of what he's trying to tell. They're all true, all the stories he told. Mm-hmm. There was, and even, I even kind of thought the, the overall arcing story is about uh, when he was on vacation in Spain and goes into a bar and a guy tells him a story. Mm. And I thought like maybe that one was fictional because like that that's kind of like you kind of need that story to get to all the other ones and even that really happened. Um and uh he you know it's so funny so much of this of the of the show boils down to this idea of not labeling yourself as just one thing. We are all much more than just people who interview celebrities. We are much more than podcasters. We are much more than movie fans. We are this, we are that. And he kind of laughed and said, you know, it's kind of ironic that I'm a guy who who made a show about not reducing yourself to one thing. And now I've become the guy who made the show about not reducing yourself to one thing. Um, but you know, his, his uh, team, his PR people, sent me an interesting email yesterday uh, before the interview, basically saying, hey, uh, during the interview, can you refrain from using the words magic, magic show, magician, which I thought was really interesting. And in fact, it was a point I was already planning on bringing up. And I brought up to him and said, look, like one of the reasons whenever I tell people, and I think I told you guys this and, and Chase said it to me, whenever I tell people about this show in and of itself, usually the second thing I say after watch it is don't Google it. Don't look up anything about it. Don't read what it's about. It's 90 minutes. It begins by asking you to put your phone down, do that, um, and then just watch it. And I, for me, the, the reason I now tell people to do that is for that very reason, because I feel like if you Google it and the first thing you see is like New York magic show, yeah, yeah. It, that's, so, that's, that's such an oversimplification of what this thing is. Um, there are unbelievable and unexplainable moments that happen in there, but it's not, you know, it's not Siegfried and Roy, you know, it's not, it's not like a Las Vegas magic show. It is, it is something different. It is unlike anything I've ever seen and is incredibly moving. It's incredibly moving. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes you really reflect upon yourself and who you are. And I think calling it a magic show is and again, not 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 a slight to magic shows because magic's great, but like that's that's a, that's dismissive of yeah. what this thing is, and uh, it's 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 very autobiographical and it's really it's it's a profound thing. Kev, how did you uh, connect to it? Yeah, I thought it was yeah it was it was incredible. Um, everything Jake said, uh, it's just very well done, um, shot really well, directed really well. Uh, I think that yeah, I I'm I'm still questioning whether or not what he's doing is some type of supernatural element. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea how he did it. So I like there that a lot. Are, there are absolutely tricks that he pulls off in this show that I didn't. And, and I, I think I've watched a number of like illusionists or mm-hmm. magicians sort of, and you're right. I don't want to dismiss him to that level because he seems to sort of tear down the wall between a trick. Like what, like the tricks are interactive to the point where they, he turns over this with this one book, which we were discussing before the show started. Mm-hmm. And he asks the people to essentially write like what's going to happen in the rest of the story kind of thing. Um, and it's reliant on that person returning the next day uh, and, and sharing the book and being mm-hmm. part of the show. You're part of the show. 
Um, and it there's this amazing part in the beginning where there are all of these I am um, stickers or cards or descriptions. They're like, um, you know, one word descriptions that, that they want you to pick the one that most relates to you. And he, he goes to the audience at one point and just identifies what each, what card each person picked just by st- it, it, it really. But in the process of doing it, he's making a much bigger point, you know, of saying like Jake said, you are so much more than that, you know? And it led to a really long conversation that Michelle and I had of like, I don't, we both instantly knew, like we were confident enough that we're not defined by a single label kind of thing. And that was comforting, you know, to at least say like, all right, I've, I've accomplished enough in my world that I'm not like, and then we started talking about like, which one would we grab? Like, what would be the the determining factor if I had to sort of boil it all down to to one so um i don't know i still i still uh, find it really interesting so if you haven't yet checked out uh in and of itself uh, it is available on hulu and i think all three of us highly highly recommend it um as well as uh bliss oh or maybe not so much jake <laughs> tell us about oh. salma hayek and owen wilson in uh in bliss what is it even about so it's basically about a guy uh, played Matrix. by owen wilson i'm with who, you yeah it really it really thinks it's like the next matrix it really really wants to be or thinks it is um who uh, owen wilson plays a guy who who is sort of in this mundane existence and comes across a woman in a bar named selma hayek who claims that the reality around them is not the real reality and that the people around them are not real and at first you're kind of meant to believe that maybe she's crazy and you're kind of questioning whether or not, okay, it's like, like as an audience member, am I supposed to wonder whether or not kind of, at first it made me think of, do you remember that movie? Um, safety, not guaranteed. Yeah. Where I a guy was going to like time travel. Oh, it's a great movie. And the guy was going to time travel in the whole movie. You don't know whether or not like, is he crazy or is he actually real? Is it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a really fun example of what I thought this movie was going to be. I thought this movie was going to be the same thing. We're like, is she crazy? Are they actually in an alternate reality? And it ends up being the most dull, mundane, incoherent, poorly acted movie I've seen in oh. years. It it it's not it's not even a fun. Oh, it's so bad! Like I gotta see it to see how bad it is. You ever watch a movie where like the the dialogue is so weirdly complicated that? You're not entirely sure that the actors even know what they're saying. <laughs> they're just kind of saying words. Yeah. And you feel like if you were on set and said, like, pause, explain to me what you're saying, <laughs> that they couldn't actually do it. Yeah. That's how I felt about Owen Wilson and Selma Hayek. That, like, uh, they're just reciting lines. And these are both, like, good actors. I think Owen yeah. Wilson can be good when the role is right for him. And Selma mm-hmm. Hayek, obviously, is a great actress. They're bad in this because I don't think that they actually get it or buy into it or, or it's just... Kevin, what did you think? I haven't seen it. Oh, don't, dude. I haven't seen it. Don't. It's <laughs> bad. It leads me to believe that they maybe thought it was something else. You know, like sometimes you sign up for a project and, and it's sold to you a, speci- a yeah. specific way. And then as good, it plays man. out, you're like, oh, this isn't it. Here's so. what I'll tell you. The best part of the movie is when Bill Nye, the science guy, shows up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like there you playing go. himself? Nope. Oh. I, he, he wears a bow tie, though. All right, let's get to Malcolm and Marie. Uh, uh, yes. Latest film from Netflix, John David Washington and uh, Zendaya. Just Zendaya. essentially, Zendaya? Zendaya, yeah. for sure? Zendaya, yeah. I'm going to go with Zendaya. Uh, You're just, going wrong. Just tearing into each other uh, for the better part of two hours. Um, 
Kev, what are your thoughts on Malcolm and Marie? Do you think that it's an awards contender going forward for either of these two? Yeah, I loved it. Um, just it's, you know, beautifully filmed and performed and written and um, very interesting con- uh, talk or uh, very interesting uh idea about our industry and relationships and I, re- I really liked it a lot I-, I think it's a worth seeing for sure i loved it um i don't know if i liked it as much as you guys did really yeah but but by that i mean like is I'm it because like, you don't know how to pronounce her name i'm like four stars on it right oh, like, well that's i still like it a lot sure but i don't know if it would make my top 10 kind of thing um only because i, don't, I just don't know what the rewatch on it is like I watch those two sort of have their arguments. It's an arguing film, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a couple that's essentially yeah. figuring out different ways for them yeah. to continue to continue an argument. It almost it feels was, like a play. Very much so. And it was kind of interesting where I forget which one of you guys asked them this. Jake, it might've been you um, about like, how do you apply? What are you going to apply to real relationships uh, that mm-hmm. you learned here? Mm-hmm. And John David Washington says like, I learned just to go be- go to bed. Yeah. Like, and they were three or four times over the course of Malcolm and Marie as this couple was ramping up to another <laughs> yeah. fight where I was like, please, guys, just stop. Like, stop. See, okay. Stop. In Marie's defense, the movie yeah. begins with her basically saying, let's not do this tonight because nothing good is going to come of it. And he's the one that can't let it go. So to that end, the question is, does that make it a good movie? You know, yes. like when she turns around and says nothing good is going to come of this. But your next two hours is them <laughs> going through it. I deeply admire their performances. Um, and, you know, I found I found most of their conversations uh, really interesting, you know, of who was picking apart what. And, and I liked the critiques that it leveled at the industry and, and the way that John David Washington. John David Washington is a filmmaker who is, they're coming home from his premiere, essentially. And he throughout the course of the evening is concerned about how people are going to take the film and at one point a review lands um, and he's very curious about how uh, how it's going to be reviewed and who's reviewing it and I found all that stuff to be really really fascinating but I um, I, if I'm being totally honest I'm not quite sure if and when I would ever watch Malcolm, Malcolm and Marie again uh, as as good as it is so Jake I think you're probably a little more positive oh yeah I, I loved it in fact um, uh, the I we did the junket on a Saturday I watched it for the first time on a Friday and then that Saturday morning turned it on again just to hear because I, I think the 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 uh conversations i think the screenplay by by sam levinson is just beautiful i think it just sings i think it's beautiful mm. um i think the black and white cinematography is gorgeous um and just i think it's just a, a powerhouse just watching the two of them I, I i but also and i've said this before on the show i'm a sucker for like scene chewing you know mm-hmm. i love a good cliche oscar moment of like you know like the, the really yelling and screaming like you know the the subtleties of nomad land don't work as well for me as the screaming and yeah. scene chewing of a malcolm and marie right. um uh, i i've seen two movies so far this year that i think have a real damn good shot of being on my top 10 list at the end of the year and malcolm and marie is one of them and the little things is the other one bliss <laughs> Fantastic. It's plus. All right. So check out Malcolm and Marie, which is coming to Netflix right now. Wait, uh, Kevin. You, you, Kevin was into it? Oh, I loved oh, it. Yeah. yeah, I, oh, I yeah. Loved oh, sorry. Movie. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He went early. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then go check out both of their interviews with uh, with the cast uh, on their YouTube channels. Kevin, did you post yours? Yeah. Mine's up. Okay. On their respective YouTube channels. No, uh, I'm not watching mine. <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> Why? What's the matter with yours? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's great. Watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Kevin, it's better than mine because mine doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't exist. <laughs> doesn't exist. I did not. I did not get Malcolm nor nor Marie. Well, we got Malcolm my, for this show. Yeah. So my, my my favorite junket line in regards to not getting something is I turned him down after I wasn't invited. <laughs> yes, I I have to use that one for Malcolm and Marie. Uh, also on Netflix, staying on the Netflix bandwagon, uh, this week's blend game is hashtag Terrence Blanchard blend. Uh, Oscar winning composer Gabe. Help me out here. Oof. KB had one job to do. What the hell Oscar are you doing? Nominated, now? I want to believe. Um, I'll I'll kick off Terrence Blanchard blend. Obviously, longtime collaborator with Spike Lee. Uh, I'm annoyed that this is my pick because it's his most recent. But I'm going with Defy Bloods. Um, and I went back and listened to a number of his scores uh, leading up to this, and he does so many things really, really well. Um, he can do playful. He can do like if he's doing like the the heist sort of con, you know, uh, bank robbery inside man, he can play that sort of jaunty, you know, up to no good type thing. Um, he can do he can fit into multiple periods. I've seen him do that before um, for uh, the Miracle of St. Anna uh, is a great example of that. Of course, Black Klansman, uh, where he sort of plugs into the period. I thought it all, I thought everything that he has worked on with Spike Lee over the years came together in the Five Bloods. I thought it was an epic score. I thought it had the feel of a 60s, 70s war film. Um, it It's a majestic, I, I use the term majestic uh, when I was describing the work that he did for Spike and the Five Bloods. And I just think the two of them have such a shorthand and a relationship that goes back over the years. And I think think that this is probably their masterpiece it's not to say that they're not going to work on another film together interesting uh, and make something really really interesting but the score for this one it's it's not often in the middle of a movie where i'm like oh god this score is unbelievably great but i know in the middle of the five bloods during one of like a swelling moment of the orchestra i was like damn terrence blanchard is is in a groove right now and um and so i need to rewatch five bloods oh it's so good really it's do. so good and his score is amazing in it so i went with the five bloods kev where'd you go i went with black klansman um just because i rewatched it recently and i i just i love the guitar riff in the in the score i just think it's a really interesting piece of music because i think it it has a um it has a foreshadowing nature to it in the sense that the character we're hoping that he that we're hoping that he can have a successful mission right so i think that there's 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 um drama and hope built into the guitar riff and i and i think it was just really cool i i thought i thought the score really kind of uh moved the film along and um kind of complemented the tone that spike created nice jakey where'd you go i also went with black Klansman. um Mm -hmm. i think for me because that movie has to balance being so many different things. Um, you know, there are moments where it's a very serious, timely and topical drama. And there are moments where like, it's laugh out loud, funny at, at certain aspects of, uh, groups of people that, that it's making fun of. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things. And it's also like a, 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 t- a period piece, you know, where it's, you know, in, in which the music of that era was, you know, very of its time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it he had to create a score that somehow balances a lot of plates that are spinning at one time where normally I feel like a composer only really has to do one of those things. Like normally a composer only has to focus on the fact that it's a period piece or that it's a drama or that it's a comedy. And somehow Black Klansman 
is all of those things. Therefore, his score has to be representative of all of those things. And I felt like he did that really well. So Michelle Garrist uh, and Harry Lichtman and Christian Hestus all went with Black Landsman. Uh, VA film buff Rachel KH and John Palmer went with Malcolm X. I thought about Malcolm. That was my that was my knee jerk reaction at first. That's another really tremendous score because uh, because that's got to cover a life. Did we ever find out if he won the Oscar? I don't think he did yet. He was nominated for Black Klansman. Okay, but that's the only thing he's ever been nominated. He, he didn't get nominated for. for Malcolm X. Nope. No. And maybe he'll get nominated for the Five Bloods, but we will find out soon enough when the Oscars are held in August of 2022. (laughs) Uh, Next week, please reach out on Twitter using... (laughs) It's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Cut to Jake saying, we're out of names. (laughs) We're going to play hashtag Morgan Freeman blend. Morgan Freeman blend. No, I refuse to believe we've never done Morgan Freeman. Not once. Never done Morgan Freeman. Not in best... No, not when we were doing best, no. not, not in the best days. It. And we can, you it. can choose uh, if you want as his performance, uh, Morgan Freeman reading Jake's eulogy because it is, without question, his finest performance. Hey, hey, you know what, dude? I might choose it. I swear to dude. God, for as long as I live, no junket bit will beat that. That that is hands down one of the greatest junket bits because of the way that he plays along with it. Like he's all in it, on it. it well, you know, I, I don't know if I've told the story before. When I when I handed him the paper, I explained the whole bit that like I wanted to die and have you know him read the eulogy at my funeral. He stares at the paper for a good like 10, 15 seconds. Okay. But in that moment, it felt like, oh God, what have I done? Like I've made a huge because he's just staring at me when I'm explaining this bit I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And then I hand him the paper and he stares at the paper for the longest time. And then slowly starts chuckling to himself and then slowly starts reading it. When did you write it? When did you, did you write it the night before or like way in advance? The the morning of. Really? You wrote that the the morning morning of? of? It's it's on a hotel sheet of paper from the hotel stationery. I can't, I have to keep asking you questions about this. Like when did you come up with the idea for the bit? That honest to God, I, I, I start out the bit by saying that this is something I've told people a long time. And it really was the, the idea being, I really wish I could become friends with Morgan Freeman yeah. and then die before him and then have him read the eulogy at my funeral. It's a lot of steps. The, it's a lot of steps. The most, the, the most impossible one being friends with Morgan Freeman. Yes. So I, I said, look, I said, I, I'm going to do the next, I'm going to cheat and do the next best thing and just yeah. have you, I'm just going to write my eulogy and have you read it to the camera <laughs> Yeah. and then it'll play at my funeral. Oh and my I have God. told people, and I am not joking, if when I die, yeah. if you don't play this at my funeral, then what was this all for? Yeah, what even are we doing here? What are you even doing here? <laughs> all right, uh, play along with me. And you gotta find Jake. Where is that bit? Please tell me. It's, it's on. It's on YouTube, but it's like it's like buried. I think I I labeled it like it's because it's with the cast of Red. Okay. So like it's not even labeled like more. more it's like I'll pull. Uh, I'll for, for next week before next week's episode. I will cut it and post it on social media so it's accessible it for people. Tremendous. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So and I'm like uh, 21. I'm like I look like a baby. <laughs> send in your Morgan Freeman picks. Using hashtag Morgan Freeman Blend on social media or at realblend at cinemablend.com. That is also where we got this week's review from Andrew, who says, Greetings from Dublin, Ireland. Hi. Wow. Yes. Hi, Sean, Jake, 
uh, Kevin and Gabe. My name is Andrew, and I am an emergency medicine doctor working here in Ireland. Hey. I'm finally getting around to this. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's Good awesome. job, Andrew. Well done. Uh, I'm finally getting around to this and want to take a moment to share my gratitude for what you guys on this podcast mean to me. First things first, if you're wondering how to say my last name, oh man, don't make me do that. Uh, it's n- Sean's not the person to get a name right. I am really not. So he says, I'll tell you what I tell both my colleagues and patients. I say it's pronounced Nodatano and the G is si- and the G is silent. Okay, so it's G-N-A, no, N-G-A-D-I, never mind. And it's Andrew, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. I can't even say Zendaya correctly. Uh, let's see. Oh, he says, sadly, only a few would get my Django reference. So that's what he says. It's pronounced oh, Nodatano, the G is silent. That's um, funny. I first came across the Real Blend podcast last year when I needed to commute for an hour and a half to my hospital. Wow. I was immediately enamored by the lively discussions that stemmed from your guys' deep friendships and love for movies ever since... Real Blend has been the way for me to unwind while driving home after a busy shift in the ED. This is even more so in 2020 when we have had to deal relentlessly with the stress of COVID in the front line. My own love for movies started very young. I remember fondly how my dad would bring me and my mom to the cinemas nearly every Saturday, walking up to the ticket booth and ask the ticket seller to line up all of the new releases that week for us to watch on the day. Back-to-back-to-back movies, it was insane. What I loved, though, was the in-depth conversations that we would have as a family, and I think that is why I fell in love with your podcast, and perhaps found it somewhat nostalgic. Two points to close. Firstly, I found that Joel Edgerton's 2017 film, It Comes at Night, perfectly summed up all things 2020 and has aged well. The increasing paranoia and distrust and distrust that built up between the two families living together in that film was such an eerie foreshadowing of our current societal fear to an unseen threat. Boy, that is a really good analysis of yeah. It Comes at Night, which is a dark as hell movie. Uh, next, Avengers Endgame is the greatest superhero movie of all time. I'm I was well just, with you up I'm just gonna, to a I'm point. Just, just going to stop right there. What? Why read anything else? What Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios, and the Russo brothers have accomplished with Endgame is beyond epic worthy is beyond epic worthy of all the accolades i'll go to my grave with that statement thank you again for faithfully recording this wonderful podcast that allows me as a listener to feel like i am also engaging in the discussion if you guys are ever in dublin it would be awesome to hang out over a pint or three of guinness until then hubie in all (laughs) in all caps with three exclamation points outstanding so that is an amazing amazing review on so many levels and more than anything i want to be in dublin ireland uh hanging out with real blend listeners so thank you very much i was gonna say more than anything the fact that he's like a medical professional that commutes an hour and a half every day to help people that's insane but cool like yeah we can talk about wanting to hang out and drink beer if we can uh make that experience any easier on you sir then uh, i'm then we're then everything that we're doing here is worthwhile so uh our next premium episode is going to be something called two film challenge and i'm going to let gabe explain that to the premium audience once we get there uh we'll be back next week with a brand new episode uh until then follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv and at sean underscore o'connell uh you can follow the show at real blend we'll talk to you guys soon so until we meet again QB QB come on Gabe can't you do something about like you you step in for every other aspect of this freaking show did you start like recording over it with something else
I don't know. Fade out music. You want to give me that kind of power? <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.